The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the Frankenmuth Historical Association. Some episodes may contain subjects that are uncomfortable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and guten tag, and welcome to Historians and Lederhosen. I'm Garrett. I'm Nathan. And I'm Malcolm. We are three historians from the Frankenmuth Historical Association, located in Frankenmuth, Michigan. The association owns and operates a seven-gallery museum, a historical log house, Fisher Hall, and a collection of over 30,000 artifacts. Check those out at frankenmuthmuseum.org or right on our Facebook page at Frankenmuth Historical Museum. This podcast will tell the stories of Michigan's Little Bavaria to the real Bavaria and anything in between. Be sure to tune in every other week and listen to the three of us and our guests as we dive into the wide world of history. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Welcome in. <laughs> No, <laughs> that wasn't good. That wasn't good. It wasn't I'm, scary. I'm spooked. I'm, You're spooked. I'm pretty spooked. I, it uh, caught my attention. I'll give you that. <laughs> Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of Historians and Lederhosen. This one's a spooky edition of it, uh, being around Halloween. And so, all right, fine, you two. Give me your best scary laugh. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to make fun of me, I'm going to put it on you. Let's hear it, Garrett. <laughs> was that a laugh or an animal? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm so sorry. It's just, it's just funny. I'm just, just thinking about cold, like cold opening with a spooky laugh and just having to like get yourself in that mindset. I don't know. I saw him taking like a little breath before he did it too. Like, okay. <laughs> No, that was good. You want to share, Malcolm, or no? What's your spooky laugh, huh? Do you want a spooky laugh or like a maniacal laugh? Give me your best. Do it. That's Halloween. I mean, I could do anything, really. What do you want? I want you to do what your heart desires. (laughs) 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 Here we go. Yeah. All right. We had maniacal. We had classic Halloween, and then a witch. Sounded like <laughs> solid. Yeah, they got some range. The, the final was Malcolm. I'd, yeah, I'd, Malcolm was just. I, I, uh, I'd expect yeah. no less from our musician. So I, I just put you guys to shame. It's okay. No worries. <laughs> I mean, I, I told you. I There's a reason like, you're paid, and I'm not. <laughs> I, can, I can do some laps. You know, <laughs> I'm just well, here for the laps. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're on the topic of Halloween and spookiness, uh, what Halloween traditions do you two like to partake in? Oh, I'll trick or treat any day. <laughs> Just normally, like normally with- October thirty first, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I love a good Halloween party. Like at okay, I yep. they're just so much fun. Even like from being a kid to now, like it's it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, definitely growing up, I was a big trick-or-treater fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just dressing up in a costume and just having all that kind of fun for the night. Uh, nowadays, now that I'm older, I really like giving out candy. Like, that's my uh, favorite It is thing. So, so much fun. Uh, yeah, we decorate the front of the house. Um, I bust out a lot of my special video lights. Hide them in the bushes, and so they're like on like effects loops and stuff like that. Um, and then we just like usually uh, light a fire in the front lawn, just in the the fire pit, and then uh, just give out candy all night. And it's a ton of fun, honestly. Like, it's, there's something so great about when a kid comes up and you're like, 
and you recognize their costume and it's maybe like a little bit obscure, they get so excited. Like they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I am. Like, <laughs> right. And right. I don't know. It's just, it's a wonderful night. I, I, the Halloween's my favorite, my absolute favorite. You said light a fire in the front, in like in the front yard <laughs> before saying in the fire pit. And I just thought that I you realized, were just burning things. <laughs> I realized how yard. I phrased that. I was like, oh, I should probably mention I have like, like one of those just like metal fire pits. <laughs> no, I just, I just set my front yard on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Adds yeah. to the to the spook yeah, in the shape of Happy <laughs> Halloween. Actually, so they get the message. Man, I remember trick or treating, taking like pillowcases out to fill. Oh, the oh absolutely! Like, oh, absolutely! Pillowcase. Nowadays, I I've got two little girls and took them trick or treating last year, and it was not what I remembered from trick or treating. <laughs> it was like, oh, we even had nieces and nephews that went with us too, and like after. Oh, I'd say 15 houses, maybe 20. They were kind of like, okay, I'm good. I was like, what? Oh, what? Wow. No. Like, no, as yeah. a kid, we were three, four hours. Like, go to your probably drop. Always, yeah. only supposed to be out there for a couple, but nope, we made an all night thing. And yeah. until they turned their front you, porch lights off, you yeah. just kept going. Did, did you guys have the one neighborhood in your town that you knew you were about to go get like full size candy? Oh, yeah. It was actually college dorms at CMU. That was oh, a nice strip. Yeah. Deerfield Village, I think. There was always that one house, though, that yeah, like you that just you knew, knew. Yeah. you knew. Yeah, there's a couple of neighborhoods in Marquette that like it's known the rich people neighborhood. You're gonna go <laughs> get some candy. <laughs> I remember when like one of the last times I went out, we were trick or treating, and we got to like the last house that we thought we would probably go to, and you could tell that this woman was just sort of down with the night shoot, but she had like um like a whole box full of full size O Henry chocolate bars, mm. and she looked at us and she was just like yeah just take it and she put the whole <laughs> box it, like it was full and you could tell she just like didn't want it anymore she was done with the night so like whoever was going to show up she was just going to unload and she unloaded and we just like lost our minds good we timing. couldn't believe it <laughs> good timing that is awesome so these are some of the halloween traditions we like to partake in um we're actually going to spend a lot of time on this episode today talking about the brothers Grimm. all right Ooh. so the brothers Grimm, if you don't know were uh german writers and researchers and garrett you're gonna tell us more about them right yeah absolutely right. so um i learned a lot just <laughs> just doing this research <laughs> i always knew that like the the Grimm brothers um published like all the fairy tales and like folk folk tales that we're kind of like used to that have been popularized in American culture. But I did not realize like how important these two men actually were. Um, so just a, a little bit of um, early, early background. So Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm were German academics from the village of Hanau in the Holy Roman Empire. So nowadays it's Germany. They're from the province of Hesse. Um, Jacob was the older one, born in 1785, and Wilhelm was born a year later. Their father was a legal man. He was a jurist and then became a magistrate judge um, when they moved to Steinau, which is where the boys essentially got the majority of their education during those during those years when their father was alive. They were um, educated by at-home tutors, which just kind of shows you the status of their family that they were able to bring in at-home tutors to teach them in the Lutheran faith and kind of that traditional Lutheran tradition. Um, well, that was a, that was a good exchange of words, Garrett. Um, <laughs> but no, they, um, up until their father died in 1796, they did a lot of at-home education. They were Their family was very well known in the community of Steinau. They were a, a higher class family. But when their father died, 
Um, that left Jacob and Wilhelm to be the men of the house. They were two of the oldest of 11 kids. Um, so in 1798, the, uh, the brothers left for the Friedrichs Gymnasium in Kassel, which is where they did the majority of their like younger education. So that's kind of like elementary school, middle school type of deal. Um, Jacob would end up graduating in 1803 from this school and Wilhelm would do the same a year later. Jacob was known to be very introverted while he was at school, whereas Wilhelm was the more social brother, but Wilhelm struggled with illness for most of his younger life, which is the reason why he graduated a year later than his brother. Um, they, one of the like key things that I noticed from researching their background is that they were, they wouldn't do much separately that almost everything they did ended up being together. They wrote separate books throughout their careers, but a lot of their most famous work was done together, which is why obviously nowadays we know them as the brothers Grimm. We don't really think of them as two separate people where they're, they're kind of collectively. Um, so after graduating in 1803 and 1804, they traveled to the university of Marburg where they would meet Friedrich von Sauvigny. Um, this was their instructor that kind of turned them on to that love of history and that love of German culture and German literature. Um, they would end up focusing on medieval German literature. That was what they started to focus their studies on. Um, but as they were sole providers for their family at this time, a lot of their education was bankrolled by their um, mother's side of the family because their, her mother, or their mother's side of the family was a lot more um, related to higher class nobility in, at the time. So they, were, they had a little bit of money. But when their grandfather died, they were kind of really left, left, out, in the, left out in the dark. They didn't have much money, so they had to be the sole provider for their entire family of, like I mentioned, a mother and nine other siblings. Um, so Jacob was the sole, sole provider. He took a job with the Hessian War Commission, bounced around for a little bit, um, but his mo what kind of really spurned their career was in 1808, Jacob was appointed as the court librarian for the King of Westphalia. And shortly after his brother would go and join him. And that was where they were able to do between, I think it was 1808 and, um, 1830 was when they were there. So they were there for like 22 years and they did all, almost all of their like early research there. And that's where they made their names for, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they were paid very little, but they were allowed to research. They had access to a massive library. So um, in 18 and 12, they would publish their first collection of 86 German folktales with numerous other collections of folktales to follow. Um, they After 1830, um, I can't remember. I think Jacob was either just left the position or was fired. There was something, something that happened. Oh, dear. And they bounced around in poverty, essentially, from job to job. They attended or they ended up joining the faculty of the University of Göttingen in um, the mid 1830s before losing their jobs in 1837 again for because this period, which is very close to the period that the Frankenmuth like original 15 left Germany was like a time of immense political like upheaval. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of conflict. This is really where some of the roots of German unification come from. That was what the big debate was at the time. Instead of these numerous principalities, they wanted to join them together. And that was what the, what the brothers were protesting about is they wanted a unified Germany ended up losing their job. 
um, at this time they started to work on a German dictionary and um, in the final kind of like background fact that I have is that in 1840 they joined the faculty at the University of Berlin due to some um, some kind of muscling from their higher class friends that were able to convince the uh, elector of Prussia to appoint them to that hmm. that position. And I'll, I'll hand this over to Nathan so we can talk a little bit more about the the origin and significance of the fairy tales themselves. Yeah. So with their background as librarians and kind of researchers, uh, Brothers Grimm, they actually set out to recover and share these old folk tales that Garrett was talking about. Um, so they ended up finding some in old text that like they found in the libraries they worked in, but they really kind of struck gold by listening to for tales by word of mouth. Um, historians, we have a term for this. It's kind of called oral history. Um, and so they set out to do this, and Dorothy Vickman was one woman who shared a bulk of the folk tales with them. Uh, the more I dug, the more I found out that the brothers gathered most of their stories actually from women. Um, and this kind of showed me, like, well, women were kind of the story keepers in the household, right? And they were so pivotal in passing down uh, the history and their family lineage and their stories. And I thought that to be a really interesting aspect about this story that I hadn't realized before I did any research for this podcast. Um, so the brothers, they actually published their first work called Children and Household Tales in 1812. Um, it was not an immediate success though. Um, it didn't really catch on in popularity too much. Um, but over the next 40 years, they ended up publishing seven more editions. Um, beginning in 1815, they started adding some illustrations to their stories as well. Um, and by the time they get to the last edition, their stories start to change quite a bit. Um, they, they started to modify some plots and they used some different language, um, essentially to try to make these more appealing for younger audiences, right? Um, you could essentially say they were kind of sanitizing them, I guess, for younger audiences in a way. Um, and after doing this, though, the Grim Fairy Tales, they really did take off and people started to try to scoop up copies of these editions to be able to share these stories, uh, with their families. Um, so... That means that the first stories, right, um, they're much more faithful, you could say, to the old folk tales and mm -hmm. these oral histories they were sort of collecting. Um, they were also pretty dark, right, mm -hmm. as I'm sure Malcolm will get into here in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, the brothers, you know, they never initially set out to publish a book of folk tales, right? It, it didn't um, get to that point until they became aware that it was actually going to be popular if they, you know, mm. recreated these a little bit. Um, instead, like, essentially, they were acting as, like, curators for this history, mm -hmm. um, which I never really realized that much about the Brothers Grimm. Um, and so, I mean, essentially, they were doing a lot of work that, like, us at museums and us as historians do today is, like, trying to excavate and preserve these stories, these folk tales, this German history. Um, and along the way, they essentially helped to kind of establish some of these methods that we use for kind of collecting and preserving folk tales and, and histories like these. So really just fascinating stuff, um, stuff that I did not know about the Brothers Grimm. Um, but now we, we kind of want to turn it over to a little bit more about the stories. I think, Malcolm, you've got a quick little segment for us first, though. Oh, Is yeah. I thought we'd do a little uh, Grimm Brothers trivia before right. we move on, if you guys All right, let's are do up it. for it. So, um, you know, pretty simple. I'll just ask a question. You give me an answer. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some trivia here. So in volumes one and two that was published by the Grimm brothers, how many fairy tales are included in volumes one and two? 
I not much of a clue. I think it's like a hundred and fifty some. Okay, hundred and fifty. I couldn't remember if it was something like in the thirties or way more, like one fifty, is what I was thinking. Because but, I'm I'm basing it off yeah. of volume one is eighty six, and okay. I would well. probably just about double or just le- slightly less than double that for a second volume. I'll go one sixty two. The answer is actually 200. There are 200 oh, stories, wow. fables, um, kind of a, a good mix uh, between volumes one and two. There are 200 that were that were published, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, okay, here's our next one. Which was the first movie produced by the Disney Corporation made from a grim fairy tale? I think it's either Cinderella or... Um, Sleeping Beauty, which would be Briar Rose. I don't know. Oh, was Sleeping Beauty one? Mm. I was going to go with Cinderella. That's what I'm going to lock in. Oh, you were both wrong on this one. It Just. is actually Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, ah, one of oh, the first movies yeah, the Disney yeah, yeah. Corporation That's actually, fair. That's actually fair. made. <laughs> so yeah. not when only the first Sleeping Grimm, Beauty, uh, that, oh, I was yeah. thinking Snow White for some reason. Dang. <laughs> All right. No, very good. You're going to get this next one, though, because I thought this was a funny one because this actually stumped me. What is Sleeping Beauty's name? Briar Rose. Correct. Nice. <laughs> I, I know that, that because I, we. I haven't she's seen often I'm just referred ever. to as Sleeping Beauty, but her actual name is Briar Rose. Also, so. this is, I don't want to interrupt you, but Briar Rose, in, this is something interesting about the Grimm, Grimm Brothers as a whole. Briar Rose, the story is not German. The story is a French story, mm-hmm. and a lot of their folk tales are not only German. It's these are entire entirely throughout Europe, but they're they're publishing the German the German variation of this mm-hmm. folk story. And some of that does come from the uh, the Alsace Lorraine um, mm-hmm. region, which is very German French. So there's a lot of crossover there, and culturally, uh, there was a lot of stories and myths and uh, tales being kind of crossed through that area, which is also kind of interesting. Okay, uh, another kind of specific one. What is the fate of the two stepsisters in the Grimm's version of Cinderella? I'm pretty sure they're eating. What is the fate of the two stepsisters in Grimm's Cinderella? Well, I know in the Disney movie, don't they just come live with her, right? Like she kind of forgives them. I think in the Grimm, in the the Disney version, they just they just go away. That's like she lives happily ever after, and we don't really like all we know is that she leaves. Now there is a sequel. Where uh, she ends up kind of befriending one of the okay. one of them and helps her like get matched, but okay. in the Disney version, they just like Cinderella just kind of goes off and that's it. Well, for some reason, I was thinking they come live with her, so that's what I'm going to lock in. It doesn't sound very Grim esque. For Grim, so. <laughs> I'm almost certain I'm for certain they die, but I'm I'm going to take a wild guess and I think that they're eaten in some way. That's probably a good guess. I like that. Well, Garrett is closer, but not correct. Uh, you remember the birds that help her dress and oh, help no. her kind of do stuff? The oh, no. birds peck out the stepsister's eyes oh, no. in the grim version. Oh. <laughs> I'm a big bird wow. fan. <laughs> that, that makes me look at the birds in the Disney movie so much differently now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, yeah. You have young daughters. You're going to have to watch yeah, this movie. I, wa- I watched it. Yeah, I watched watch it like it. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, like, like, oh, <laughs> I wish I had birds that just like helped me like get dressed and then pecked out the en- the eyes of my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> These innocent little birds. Just, um, I got a couple other ones here for you. These are kind of a little bit more broad. But what cultural current um, or cultural movement influenced the Grimm brothers and their interest in German folk tales? 
We didn't really talk about this much, no. so we can talk about it a little bit more. But what cultural movement or content or current, I guess, yeah, movement is probably the best word. What cultural movement influenced the Brothers Grimm in their interest in German folktales? Is it like a rise of nationalism? Because I, because they're kind of labeling these like Germanic tales, so it's kind of like that German unification kind of project that they were really interested in. Yeah, that's that's one, Nathan. I'm wondering if it's more related. Eh, it's probably not related so much as to religion. So, no, I I like that answer, Garrett. Yeah, I would have accepted uh, nationalism or romanticism. Mm. It's the romantic Ooh. movement mm. uh, that was kind of a cultural movement going through art um, and uh, literature at the time. So, yeah, they were very much influenced by the romantic movement as well as nationalism to kind of further the interest in German cultural heritage. So, yeah, both both acceptable answers. Very, very good. Um, then I think I had one more. Yes. What was the original name of the Grim Fairy Tales? The original name. Was it Children and Household Tales? Children's and Household Tales. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah, that, was that the is correct. One. Yep. And it was originally right? called Children's and Household Tales. Correct. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, like for you guys, what, uh, what, Grim fairy tale comes to mind right away when you hear Grim, other than Matt Damon and Heath Ledger portraying the brothers Grim <laughs> in a very basically a documentary film. <laughs> <laughs> very documentary. So my my number one favorite is Hansel and Gretel. And it's just really? um I like it because of how much it's been it's able to be changed. And that's something that I like about all the the Grim mm-hmm. fairy tales is that they're um this is I don't want to nerd out as an English minor who like studies <laughs> literature, but no, they're they are didactic tales that are mm-hmm. meant to teach people something, and like that's up for debate. You can decide like what you get from all of these, but with that, they have very flat characters, which means they're easy to manipulate in like ways to like rewrite the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I just like Hansel and Gretel because that's one of in my opinion, one of the most confusing ones of like, what are you trying to tell us from this story? So it's able to be like manipulated into many different ways. Like you can have a horror Hansel and Gretel. You can mm-hmm. have like a meant for kids Hansel and Gretel. Like it's it's yeah. fascinating that that like these are quite literally like thousands of years old. Like that brothers the brothers Grimm just wrote them down. That's yeah. really that's really what they're known for. And they're yeah. thousands of years old and they've changed throughout time. And I just think it's fascinating. That's a great point too, because I think uh that's what I really like about them too. And I find I almost like the the many adaptations better than like just the original fable or mm-hmm. whatever. Um but that's a really good point about how these characters are very easily uh, maneuvered into different scenarios. And like you said, you can do like an extreme horror version. Um I was trying to find uh the answer to this question for the trivia, but I couldn't find it, which is uh I wanted to know what is the most adapted, like film adapted. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't quite find the answer. It was really like I would have had to like crunch the numbers myself kind of style. Um, but yeah, I mean, like all of these tales have been redone a hundred times over and each time kind of breathing new life into these very old stories. And like you said too, like, you know, they've been transformed into teen romps, you know, uh, teen comedies. Disney has obviously adapted in a number of ways. Um, one kind of interesting example that I really liked in the early seasons was that show um, on ABC called Once Upon a Time. Are you yep. with that show? I really liked the first couple of seasons. It was really good because it was taking all these fairy tale creatures or um, 
characters and kind of putting a real different spin on all of them, kind of recontextualizing them and uh, and doing some really interesting like backstories with them and kind of making them more people, like mm-hmm. people that were going through these actions and not just like these unrealistic characters that just you know go through these um, stories. Unfortunately, that show kind of got very Disney by the end. Yeah. Like it felt. Like they were just it. It became kind of just an advertisement for Disney. Whereas, but the first couple of seasons, it was really like just exploring all these classic public domain characters. But then they brought in like Elsa from Frozen, and it was just like ah, okay. So now this show is just <laughs> just another vehicle for the Disney Corporation. I just think like the most fascinating thing is once you once you bring them down to your down to the core of like what these stories are is like that that trying to teach kids something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like. Then you read the text of like what the brothers Grimm wrote down, and you're like, they really, they really trusted kids with a lot. They trusted kids with a lot back then, yeah. because like, like in, um, in the original Sleeping Beauty, like they, she, she touches the little spindle and she falls asleep for a hundred years, and mm-hmm. there's a full part of the story where, like. Prince after prince keeps trying to like get through the hedge that surrounds their castle, mm-hmm. and it's only after a hundred years that the person can do it. And it's just like it's so interesting that like that was what they believed life was is just <laughs> trying to go save this princess. You save a, if you're gonna save a princess, you got to go through some trials back then. Yeah, you didn't just show up in any old castle. <laughs> well, that's kind of funny too because that's where like Shrek. Um, yeah. The movie oh, Shrek yeah, yeah. really takes like a very satirical take on all yeah. the fairy tales, you I know. Shrek and for that, especially oh, yeah, Shrek too, especially when they get to far, far away and you see all the oh like, yeah, it's like a Hollywood like yeah. Um, oh, it's yeah, those movies are just Shrek fantastic. was incredible. Shrek is incredible. <laughs> Shrek one and two, anything after one and that? two, yeah. Uh, Shrek three falls. It really is off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> Shrek the third, I think, is what it was called. And then oh, fourth kind of right. redeemed itself, but it was still just like uh, it's too far gone. It, it, you could just tell it wasn't the same creative team anymore that like had that like just like vision of what they wanted to do with it and yeah. plus too like the original shrek is such so quotable it's so too. quotable but it's like its entire ethos was like <laughs> we're not disney and yeah. disney is dumb <laughs> because it's literally like a disney executive left disney to start like paramount or mm. um, dreamworks story um and like it was like that whole movie was just his like his letter back to the Disney Corporation of just like screw you guys. I wonder. I wonder how the the brothers Grimm would feel if they watched Shrek today. Like that's a great question. I don't know. Yeah. Or just any of the Disney movies. I wonder how they would feel. They'd be like, "This is what our work created. Yeah. This is what we created." Were you guys ever told any grim fairy tales, like not through like a film or anything like that? Did you ever have like people or like grandparents in your life that like told you stories or anything, like, or just like even not even grim fairy tales, but just like old stories like this? It wasn't really until high school that I even really discovered who the Brothers Grimm were, okay, and like the fairy tales. And I think um, yes, earlier what our, our favorite one was uh, for me. It was at that time that I read uh, like Little Red. Riding Hood, right? Yeah, where she goes into the house. And um, I didn't know that like, the Grim Fairy Tales were dark. I just like picked up the book and I started reading it. And like at the end, they essentially stuff rocks in the down the wolf's throat. Mm-hmm. And like that's how the wolf dies. And I was like... Well, I think in the original too, like the wolf eats grandma. 
And yeah, they have yeah, to, yeah. And like the huntsman has to like cut the wolf open to free grandma. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like it gets pretty, pretty and crazy. So like that darkness, I was just like, oh my gosh, like what? I just read I that? <laughs> I also think it's absolutely fascinating how like culturally relevant fairy tales are like to to a culture like like when you think of these these are children children's stories essentially but they were inspired by the uh, nationalistic movement they were like this is what's going to define german culture is if we we write down these stories and i see that like when i'm when i'm doing research for multiple other different cultures that they preserve their like history through like stories that they tell people and obviously these are kind of silly and like kind of dark at, at certain points but at the same time like nathan mentioned that they were working as historians primarily they mm-hmm. weren't working as children's book writers they were working yeah. to kind of preserve german heritage and preserve german myth essentially and it's that's a good point yeah it's fascinating yeah myself i remember i actually can't remember my grandmother telling me oh, yeah. the story of rumpelstiltskin okay um it's a good one yeah, you know, it's just kind of a class. And I think that's why, like, you know, he's just kind of an interesting little character. Uh, and then he, it, the adaptations of him when they pops up is always kind of quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one that I just distinctly remember, like, going and visiting my grandmother. And she's telling me the story of Rumpelstiltskin, along with, like, a bunch of Bible stories, too. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to balance them. <laughs> yeah. You know, Samson and Delilah, the good ones. You know, the good ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you two for sharing quite a bit about the Brothers Grimm. I think it's so fascinating, especially like you were saying, Garrett, with like the cultural adaptations that we see and how ingrained in our culture that these fairy tales have become. Um, and the Brothers Grimm sort of made that possible. Um, so this will wrap up another episode of Historians and Lederhosen. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review. Uh, hopefully you all get out there and do some trick-or-treating with your families and uh, invite uh, the little ones for some king-size candy bars. All right? So... Uh, Feel free to splurge and be sure to fill up their pillowcases with candy, all right? We got to get back to that. We got to get more candy. None of those 15 minutes and I'm done. No, no, we got to get back to that. All right. So with that, thank you all for listening and I'll feed a saint.